0: Hey, how are you? Uh, this is Dave Broadbeck, gonna a technical doctor, Dave Broadbeck, and I'm going to tell you about in the following lecture, Psychology 2606 or Biology 2606, whatever you prefer, Introduction to Behavioral Neuroscience for the Winter 2024 20, term. Don't say 2024, stop talking like that. You never said 1993. Of course, most of you weren't born yet, but we didn't. Anyway, uh, right, so here's the lecture. Hope you enjoy it. If you don't, don't really care, as long as you learn something. Something that's inside So um, today we'll talk about neural communication. What we'll do today, in fact, is we'll get, probably get to the point where I want to get to before the next test. Because we're a little bit ahead of where I want to be, which is good. Um, gives us a little bit of flexibility. Uh, so it turns out that, uh, like I said, we're a little bit ahead. And so if we get that done, and we will, and we'll definitely have what I want to get done for the test done. By Tuesday. So on Tuesday, we can do all kinds of question and answer stuff on review. Start studying. Your test is coming up. And we can, we can just, we may be able to do nothing but review on on Tuesday. Just Q&A. By the way, that Q&A doesn't get recorded. So if we do that, that's for people who show up. It's a bonus. I typically don't Because they're also not. So, but yeah, looks like there. Um, oh, also my teeth are fine. My appointment, I misread my calendar. It's just the cleaning. It's not like I have a big problem. You know it's like getting a dentist appointment. They give you a time, and then you say, "Well, I can't do that." I go, "Well, that'll sort of cost you an extra seven thousand dollars." One day they tried that, they never do the thing where they say, oh, we have to change your appointment, we have to charge you a hundred bucks. They do stuff like that. So one day when they tried that, I wrote over an the invoice. And I said, you are five minutes late, it costs coincidentally exactly the same amount as what you're charging me. They didn't oh, go to no They said, okay, well, this time. <laughs> <laughs> they're actually They've come pretty cool. over the years and I like to take some bets. Uh... I'm sure I had that. Good dentist? No, I'm not going to tell you. you. I won't talk about it. Actually, they're, they're pretty great. Um, right. So, we're going to talk about how neurons communicate. That's the next topic. Uh, and it's, I think it says in the course outline with electricity and chemistry. That's how, that's how it works. Uh, it was pretty clear very early on that electricity played a role in neural communication. Even before we knew that we would call it neural communication. There was something happening with electricity. Um, Galvani, you may may know the name Galvani because you've heard of the term galvanic skin response. Right, GSR. Uh, Galvani was an Italian, I don't know what part of Italy, it wasn't really in Italy then. It was all fragmented, it doesn't matter. Uh, But he was a scientist uh, and he was really interested in electricity, and did electricity make living things move? So what he did is he actually took uh, frogs, people like using frogs. Uh, They're easy to catch, I guess, and I guess people weren't too worried about them. (laughs) So he had a frog and he would hook its leg up, its leg muscle, one of its leg muscles, up to uh, a lightning rod and then he'd have to put the lightning rod out in the light in light during a storm, and then he'd hope to get electric. Because, see, today we use a battery. <laughs> but there were batteries. So he used a lightning rod. Okay. So that happened, and he actually got the frog's leg to move. Uh The idea that the communication happened from place to place to place was pretty clear when people look uh, at how uh, seizures go. There's a, a thing in, in, in um, when people have focal, uh, focal seizures they are localized in one place, they march. They move from one place to another. So if, it, if you start feeling tingling in your finger, which actually means you're having something in your brain, but that's how it goes, it then moves to the next part, and the next part, it, like, it marches. That's why I called the Jacksonian march, it Was the first person who talked about this it was a dining Jackson. I think it was Tito. it's Tito Jackson. Uh, it was clearly just for me and Sue, but uh one of Michael Jackson's brothers. And that's not who did this. This was a long in the 1700s. Anyway, it marches along, they didn't know this at the time, your brain moves from part to part, but that shows up by moving from part to part in your body. So there's something that there's connections, it's ele- it's electrical. Um and then you had people make they this out. People started stimulating the cortex of various animals, and Fritz and Hitzig like did this, and they got little twitches. So you take an animal, and again, that's when we do it this way today. But they open the animal's head up and they start doing little bits of, little, little bits of shock isn't the right word, small amounts of current, and they see twitches, and they're the same. If you do this in this region of this dog, and this region, of the same region of another dog, you get the same twitch. So it's pretty clear there's some sort of communication going on, right? Okay, that's good. So, whoops, I screwed that up. Did I just, I think I just settled this. <laughs> yes, how did that happen? I didn't know you could go backwards, okay. Um, jeez, I just wanted to go back one thing. So, guy uh, name Bartholomew was an MD and he had this patient, Mary Rafferty. Mary Rafferty had a, uh, a cancer on her skull, which is not a great place. There's no great place to get cancer. But you're, you kind of need your skull. Uh, so what ended up happening was uh, well, yeah, there you go. was no chemo. <laughs> it took the piece of skull off but this now left exposed brain eh? like you're walking around with an exposed brain this is this Mary Rafferty person so she's got her brain exposed and basically covered with a piece of cloth like it's kind of a, kind of a happy story so what this guy does and I'm just going to say this what this asshole does is he gets her in his lab and he starts poking at her brain So he's just doing this, and he's doing this without consent. This is the thing that is gross. Um, I'm a doctor, you know, that kind of thing. (laughs) let me do whatever I want. And you might think, well, it was the 1800s. He was kicked out of the American Medical Association for this. So this was, even in the 1800s, this was unethical garbage. I want you to remember her name, Mary Rafferty, because she was the person who sacrificed something. Bartholomew did nothing and he's a piece of human garbage. I don't like things like this. I mean, it's real violation, right? That said, we learned that humans work that way too. He was just basically doing what Fritz and Hitson were doing, except, oh good, I've got a human I can do this on who'll be dead in a few weeks. Like, it's really gross. So remember Mary Rafferty. That should be like a rallying cry of people who do neuropsychology. Remember Mary Rafferty. Uh, don't remember Bartholo. I'm not even telling you his first name. Look it up. The guy's a jerk. Now, Wilder Penfield did something similar, but he was trying to cure people of things. Wilder Penfield was a uh, Canadian neurosurgeon who worked at the Montreal Neurological Institute, and one of the things that he was known for was relieving people of seizures so he would find people would come to him and they'd say i have they present with a seizure and he tried to figure out where the seizure started now today you know what we do we put you in an mri and we flash lights at you until you have a seizure but we stress you that's that's how you with if they're going to look at your seizure they have to see the seizure happen how do you make a seizure happen you stress something um, a friend of mine has epilepsy, and when she had her first uh, seizure, that she, the first seizure that she actually remembered, she, uh, one day she was working in my lab in Newfoundland and she was like convulsing on the floor, kind of thing. And afterwards, this ever happened before? No. And then she took her to the hospital, she's fine, and it was interesting because she said, When the doctor said to me, you ever have a seizure before? I said, No. And then he said, Have you ever had one of those times where you just forget what's going on around you? And she said, Oh yeah, episodes. I have those. They're they're seizures you can't really see. They're called what we're called absent seizures. So they're basically just staring off into space. And my friend Andrea thought everybody had those. <laughs> so uh, she found out it was an epilepsy and she's fine. Um, but you know they they, they Got her into a hospital in, 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 I guess it was in Cornerbrook, and moved and they stressed her until she had a seizure, and they said, oh, it starts there. (laughs) Then they they look and watch. Couldn't do that in 1930. What you do is you open up somebody's head, and they're awake during brain surgery, because you're always awake during brain surgery. It's not innervated, like the brain, which sounds weird. It doesn't have sensory neurons, so you can push somebody's brain, they don't feel anything they might experience something but they won't feel it right What not feel is like touching so people very often would have these experiences just before they had a seizure and there's this classic uh thing from geez, i don't know 20 years ago uh these uh, heritage moments maybe 30 years ago that they would show this this thing and in this little video there's a woman who would always smell burnt toast before she had a seizure so and in the video she says dr penfield i smell burnt toast and that's what he's zapping her brain because so, he's trying to find out where seizure starts and then when he finds it out he just takes a little piece of brain in now again we don't do it like that today but it's 100 years later the thing is what Pen- penfield did this other things would happen. People's memory, people have weird memories. like, he'd be poking around with a, with, with a, an electric. And then people would go, oh, I'm not my fourth birthday. <laughs> like, things would just happen, or they'd move their arm or whatever. And this is how he would just discover this, and this is why I mentioned this. Here's actually a drawing of the, this is Galvani's drawing of, there's your frog, there's your lightning rod, and it's hooked up to it. I don't understand. It's very strange. I mean, I guess it makes sense because they didn't have control of electricity. But it is odd. It is odd. And of course, eventually, what that leads to is uh, singing frogs that uh, jump out of bricks and try to uh, convince you that they can make you rich. Bugs Bunny. I don't care that you haven't seen that. It's a classic. Hello, my baby. Hello, my darling. So. This led to the invention of the EEG. The EEG, or the electroencephalogram, uh, is a way to measure neural activity. like measure electroact- ah, electrical activity, I'm sorry, in the brain. But it's done without going into the brain. We put electrodes on your head it's trivially easy. So this was the idea that you could measure Electrical activity of the brain outside the brain was a new one. And this guy, Caton, let me get his first name right. So let me in there. Yeah, Richard Caton. Uh, he's from Liverpool, in England, and he lived between 1842 and 1926. Uh, so, in the middle of the 1800s, he publishes a paper where he talks about how he's measuring with electrodes just on the, the head of various animals, and he's measuring the electrodes. Nobody else does this. and Basically, everyone else ignores it. Which is weird, because that should have been a real, yeah, that's cool, but no one got excited. He's from Liverpool, so I always figure he talks like the Beatles. I'm um, going to measure some electroencephalograms. Uh, Helmholtz, who is really important in history of psychology. Uh, Helmholtz was doing the same kind of stuff uh, later on though not on the surface, he was looking at, within a frog, uh, looking, I think it's their sciatic nerve he was looking at, and he was measuring the speed of nervous transmission. And he got somewhere between 20 and 40 meters a second. Because everybody thought it was instantaneous, like the way, you know, electricity is basically instantaneous. Nope, 20 to 40 meters per second, that's slow, man. Um, then Hodgkin and Huxley uh, looked at giant axons from squid. These are axons, these are, these are neurons that are so big you can see them, very big cells. So he was measuring, or they were measuring, uh, using electro- microelectrodes and oscilloscopes, they were measuring the resting potential of a neuron. They found that when a neuron wasn't firing, it was still it still had current, like it still had a um, the, what should I say, the cell membrane was still polarized. And in fact, they found that it was negative 70 millivolts. They, they developed a series of differential equations that actually describe action potentials. Uh, they are beyond the scope of this course, but we're uh, graduate school friends, typically. <laughs> but um, if you know the math, they're not hard at all. So, they figured that out. So, as I said, the resting potential of a neuron is negative 70 millivolts. This is because a neuron selectively allows certain ions into a, into the cell, and keeps others out. So put your hand up if you don't know what an ion is, I can explain it in like 40 seconds. Don't feel bad, it's better if I, if you don't, you all know what ions are? Okay, fine, I'm now working for the assumption you all know what ions are. So, um, I didn't miss a hand, did I? I don't see very well. Okay, good, you will know it, that's fine. You all remember your high school chemistry, that's wicked. I don't believe you, but it's nice, you to, <laughs> it's nice that you're showing it. So what happens then is that certain ions are kept out, others come in, and with stimulation of a neuron, sodium ions are allowed in. They're positive? so they can change the charge across the membrane, right? because if the charge is negative 70 and we allow a bunch of positives in, that makes the charge less negative somewhat positive so if it's stimulated by there's a lot of ways to stimulate a neuron um, other neurons mostly there's other ways to do. and you can do it just with electrical current and that's what people like well, that's what Penfield, for example, was doing. Right? He would run current through a part of the brain, but that's neurons, and then he uh, which which stimulates the neuron. Oftentimes just other neurons are in that job. In fact, almost always it's other neurons. Right. So an action potential is when the neuron fires. So the neuron sits at negative 70 and it wants to be at negative 70. It doesn't want to be anywhere else. It wants to be at negative 70. And I mean, when I say wants, obviously the neuron isn't self-aware, but there are various systems that keep the neuron at negative 70 millivolts. then, if we get, if it hits around negative negative. Yeah, let's go with that. Um, all this sodiums rushing in, and that causes change. That causes the change in the, in the, in the um, charge across the membrane, right? Because we're getting a bunch of positives coming in. There. So it's negative. But we're throwing in a bunch of positives, makes the, makes the uh, changes the charge from a, a little less negative. And now changes in one area of the neuron cause changes at another area. And it's sort of an, it's an electrochemical thing and I just think it's cool. It's really neat how this works. Like I, I can't fathom how cool this is. It's really, really neat. We'll talk more about it in just a sec here. But remember the notion we go from negative 70 then some positive ions come in and it gets a little less negative. And once it gets to yeah, negative, like I said, still maybe negative, but maybe fifty-five, the charge collapses and you end up with a positive charge. And when you have a positive charge, you have an action potential. And then you get released into our transfer. So it looks like this, well. It's controlled by something called the sodium-potassium pump. Now, when I say something called and it is controlled by, it sounds like there's one. There's hundreds and thousands of these chemical pumps on neurons. There can be thousands, okay? There's not just one. And is, oh, look, it's animated. Good. It doesn't always work properly. And I can figure out what it is that makes the animation work or not. So, so but this is outside the cell, this is inside the cell. Okay, so outside, we're gonna, or inside we're gonna take these three sodiums and we're gonna take them out, this transport protein that makes this happen. This opens up, the sodiums come out, it grabs two potassiums, they fit here. The pump closes, the transport protein goes away, and the potassium is allowed inside. So they're also positive. So it's in a three to two ratio of letting positives some positives even pumping others out. This takes a lot of energy. This is a way to do active transport. There's, there's passive transport and active transport. Active just means there's a process that has to happen. Passive is osmosis, basically. Okay? So what's going on here is that even when the cell isn't firing, when it's resting, when it's doing nothing, it's actually still working. It's still working. Does that make sense so far? Questions? If you get this, it's really cool. Like, because then you get the next stuff. Like, it all builds on. Make sure you get it. Okay, good. So, this takes a lot of energy. So, this probably explains why we, you know, so much of our glucose and our oxygen is used by our brains. Why, why, like, negative and positive? Like, you know, right now, let me set some lights here. Okay, those lights there that I'm going to turn off in a second so it make it hard for me to read the slides, uh, there's now current traveling through those lights. Right? That's how electricity works. When I turn them off, there's no current now. It's not like some currents being given to it. None. There's no electricity going through those lights right now. Yeah. Why, 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 why aren't neurons like that? I've heard it said that it makes encoding easier. I don't understand how. I don't, so I don't buy it. I'm, other people have said this who so are smarter than I am. It's <laughs> possible. So. But I just don't buy this. Does it allow faster reactions? I kind of like that a bit better. And that's kind of, I think of this like an analogy. Okay. So an, uh, an action, a wrestling potential is like a drawn bow. Okay. Draw a bow. You're doing archery. It's not fun. It can be deadly. So, you know, do it in a good place and know what you're doing. Um, but it's kind of fun. Anyway, you draw a bow back. It's not doing anything, but oh boy, is there a lot of potential energy in that? right? If you ever do you have to be actually quite strong bow. It's not that thing you are messing around. And when you let the arrow go, it really flies. If you don't, you just put it like that. Doesn't go as far. So I like that analogy that allows for very quick, very powerful reactions. Because it's like a drawn bump. I guess. I mean, I, I can't go back in time. If, no one knows where these things evolved from. So we can't reconstruct this. But it would be nice because we could figure out, why not just off and on instead of really, really off so off that you actually hit some different. Charging through. So the action, an action potential happens when stimulation uh, causes the pump to stop. Sodium rushes in, okay, and the potassium goes out. So it's like when, basically what happens is that the, 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 the pumps give up because they can't keep up with the amount of sodium that's being let in by the neuron. So it's like if you've ever had a, a, a flood in your basement and the water's coming in faster than your pump works, you may as well turn your pump off. <laughs> you're just wasting electricity. So that's happened to me. Not here, happening in Newfoundland. The, be- the best words you can ever hear, by the way, are the insurance guy saying, "Don't worry, you're covered," which is a tremendous thing to hear. Uh, and the other great thing was to hear the ice jam break in the sewer line. And I heard it from a basement. It's funny when you see, you go to your basement and you, you go, oh, it's wet, but you go, oh, it's an old house, sometimes the basement gets wet, and it is 12 degrees and raining, even though there's four meters of snow outside. This is what it's like living in new And then, you go downstairs to get the laundry, and it's up to your knees, and you go, it's not supposed to be like that. And that's when you call, I called my dad, because I don't know what to do, and my dad new things, so I said, what do I do? He said, you got anything you don't need? I said, what do you need? He said, you throw it in the basement because your insurance will replace it. Uh, it's like he said to my brother when he crashed his car, My dad. he said, well, I'd pour some gas on it and light it on fire to make sure it's a total. Uh, but the water got up to the electrical panel. We were watching it and my wife said, what does it mean if it hits the electrical panel? I said, it means we grab the kids and we run because the house is about to explode. However, then I hear and it was great watching the water go down. So that was like the end of the unaction uh, an potential, and now I was going to reset. And that's what happens later. Everything gets reset. The pumps go back. The pumps kick back in. They pump out all the sodium, and now you're ready. Now, this doesn't take as long as it took to clean up my basement in Cornelbrook, which took a couple weeks. This takes seconds. Less than seconds. It happens very quickly. It's bang, bang, bang. But there is a refractory period where there is no... Um, where no simulation is possible. Because there isn't enough. To there. What kinds of weird things happen with my slideshow? Though? Okay, I don't know why, it's, I didn't touch. I didn't touch. It's doing that on here too. Oh good, okay, so it's something about the way yeah. I've set the slides up. Point is, it's reversed later, the sodium is pumped out, we get back to, to where we used to be. All oh. right. So, when we are, when, when, I, when I say integration here, I mean we try to, we integrate information from many sources. So, we might have a neuron that has 10,000 synapses. I mean, there are neurons like that in our cortex, lots of them, that have literally 10,000 more synapses. Imagine that. 10,000. Imagine trying to rewire that yourself. You couldn't. So, this is why it's not, gonna, nobody's ever going to have their brain rewired. Um, I always get a kick out of that in like science fiction shows. Well, they wiped his memory of this one event. No, they didn't. That's not a fake, man. So what happens is a single neuron will integrate information from perhaps ten thousand different sources because they're different neurons. Draw us pictures, So we can get excitatory and inhibitory postsynaptic potentials. So I'm going to draw a little bit here. You're going to revel in my tremendous artistic ability, which I think we've all established is almost as good as some really stupid children. So nothing? Guys, have a little bit of fun. The people who talk all the time are gone, so we can have fun. Um, So let's pretend this is a neuron. This is just one dendrite. Like I said, you laugh. Don't laugh so much when I'm on, I'm very talented. Um, I'm not, I'm horrible. Don't feel bad about laughing. I'm laughing at you. My sister is a commercial artist. My brother is a record producer, also an artist. I'm not. So this is a dendrite. So let's say we have some connections here. Uh, let's see, so we're gonna make excitatory connections green. So we're gonna put one here, here, so, these would all be different places where sodium can get in. We could also have places where we have inhibitory connections. Okay. Now those aren't going to let in sodium, they're going to let in a different ion. They're going to let in chlorine. And chlorine's a negative ion. So if chlorine gets in, the charge becomes even more negative. But it's even more negative just at a little part, maybe just. this. Yeah. So maybe just here, it will be negative. Remember the sodium-potassium pumps all over this thing, trying to fight against this. So what ends up happening is that maybe we get, so maybe we've got a stimulation. We get some chlorine here, and some chlorine here, and some chlorine from the other. So now it's just a little bit more negative. So it's not negative 70; maybe it's negative 75. That is called an inhibitory postsynaptic potential. Okay? So you can probably guess where an excitatory postsynaptic potential is. That's when all these green ones over here, we've let in a bunch of sodium. Yeah. That is an excitatory postsynaptic potential. And there maybe it's negative 16. So, what this neuron, <laughs> this, I don't even know what I could call this, I can't even think of a joking thing this could be. This neuron, uh, what it's doing is it's integrating information from all these different sources. Because some neurons are saying fire, other neurons go, no, don't, don't. Now, the neuron has to kind of make a decision. And I talked about this the other day. And we talked about temporal and spatial summation. So let's go back to that, put our picture back up. Spatial summation means that the information uh, in a certain area gets added up. So, well, we got a nice circle here at the top right. Over here, we'll just stick with that. They're all in the same space, the same place. That's and as it's adding up its decisions, it's, it's adding it's adding up votes basically in a fire. Like I said the other day about I used to watch guys go to the moon and they'd say go, go, go. And there'd be all these votes for go, 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 go. And if anybody said no, they didn't go. Basically how it worked back then. Uh, it's not quite like that with the neuron, but it's close. It's like is the charge enough? Is the charge enough? Is the charge enough that it's going to propagate? No, it doesn't. Okay. So there's spatial and temporal summation. Temporal summation means this has to all happen at roughly the same time. And by the way, those that temporal that, that temporal window, as it's called, is small. Like it's it's we it measure that in milliseconds. It, it's short. It's a short piece of uh, time. So it's like voting in the fact that there's a voting day, a temporal summation, but it's not the same as voting because there's, I mean, unless you want to think of spatial summation being like voting for different candidates in different districts or something, but that's taking the analogy a little far, I think. Uh, But yeah, the spatial thing means that it has to all happen at roughly the same place. And once that happens, and the neuron can't keep up like it can't pump out the sodium anymore. The, the 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 sodium potassium pumps quit. Right? They just quit. And then sodium comes in like crazy. And then it are fires. And when the fires then releases, their are transmitter to the next neuron. So how are you going to get that stimulation? Well, there's a few ways that are you could actually just use current like Wilder Penfield did you could just so that's fine pressure does it so now I'm going to get you to do something and don't listen to what I say please you could do too much of this and hurt yourself if you push on your eye don't push hard just do it until you sense something so you you can do it with your eye open and you see a blotch of color that is you stimulating neurons in your retina and then the information is sent to your occipital lobe. And what is your brain? What, what, you know there's not a blob of color there, right? Like you know your finger doesn't have a weird blob of sort of rainbowy colors. But when you push on your eye, you get a blob of rainbowy colors, right? That's because the information is sent. Those neurons are firing. Information is sent to your brain. Your brain's like, those neurons are firing. What are they sensitive to? Light. That's light. If you could somehow hook your eyes up to your like auditory system, you would see, you would hear things that you saw. Or you could just take a lot of acid. That would be a different approach. Don't look. I there's things I don't want to ever try, and one of them is something a kid with grade seven lab tech skills can make. These basically, so I stay away from LSD. Um, but yes, yeah, so pressure will cause a neuron mostly oh, it's other neurons releasing neurotransmitter. When I showed back to our picture here, Oops. Yeah. these little gates that I've drawn, those are what are called ion channels. They're ion channels—they're called ion channels because they're channels ions go through. It's a really good name, and it's not in Greek or Latin. It's wonderful. And ion channels beside them have a binding site. And the whole thing is called a receptor complex. So you get a, a receptor. So you get a receptor, has a binding site, and then it has an ion channel. The binding site is like a lock. The neurotransmitter is like a key. It opens the door, and the door is the ion channel. Okay? The door is the ion channel. Rush in, and they change the polarization across the membrane in that cell. Okay, do you understand excitatory and inhibitory post snap potentials? Questions? Yes, please. So, sorry. No, don't be sorry. I'm this is my job. maybe really missed the part where, where you were talking about just now the receptor yeah. and then also the pump. Yes. Is that the same thing? No. The pumps are separate from the receptors. The re- receptors are made up of two things. They're made up of a binding site and an ion chain. Okay? okay. They're the sodium-potassium pumps. There would be, per square nanometer on these cells, uh, tens at this part. Not hundreds or thousands, but there'd be tens of them. Every square nanometer. Like, a nanometer is very small. It's a million mean, right? So very, very small. But there's lots They're they're dotted all throughout here. Does that help? Other questions? Good question. Okay, so you get this: temporal spatial summation, excitatory, inhibitory, postsynaptic potentials. These make wonderful definition questions for for tests. I don't know know this there is a test coming. And what if I said Define and demonstrate the significance of excitatory postsynaptic potential, and the way you define that is you say that this is when uh, there has been some sodium going through ion channels, and the neuron is being stimulated, and it's a little less negative. And you know how you you know the next thing you talk about just mention inhibitory ones. It could also be inhibitory with chlorine. This can lead to temporal and spatial summation that causes a neuron to fire. good answer, that's not quite five out of five from one-high there, but that's pretty good. Okay, so at the axon hillock, the axon hillock is where, so it's where the axon starts, but it's also where the decision to fire is, is made. So that decision of should this neuron fire, and when it fires, it releases neurotransmitter, neurotransmitter. Okay? The neuron deciding should I fire or not, that happens at the hillock. It doesn't happen at the dendrite. So that charge has to propagate down the dendrite through the cell body to the axon hillock where the decision is made. So there's a lot of voltage set and a lot of really big voltage sensitive channels right here at the axon hillock. And they're calcium channels. So I've got some things. I just wanted to check this. Uh, per square nanometer, actually, on the cell body, there is one sodium-potassium pump. But if you get to the axon hillock, like, there are 100 per square nanometer. And at the nodes of you between the... The myelinated bits between them on the axon, there are a thousand sodium potassium pumps per square nanometer. Okay. So what's happening is around negative 50 millivolts. So that's right here. See these are excitatory postsynaptic potentials. See that? They're just they're potentials. They aren't necessarily firing it because the neuron's always trying to get back to negative seven, always trying to get to negative seven. But sometimes pumps can't keep up, and the charge propagates. The cell depolarizes, and you can see where it happens. It's all happening here. You see what goes from ah, okay, no, no, that's fine. Ah, no, that's fine. Negative fifty, bang positive, what, this one's positive 40 or so when it fires. And they're roughly the same, those, those values are the same if you're a human or if you're a nematode. Is a neuron is a neuron, it's a neuron, it's a neuron. They all work with the same rules and mostly the same neurotransmitters. There's bird dopamine. It's basically dopamine. <laughs> and so this is just how neurons work. So you get these voltage-sensitive channels right along here. Of course, you have a lot of voltage-sensitive channels because they're going to detect is the voltage different enough for minus minus seventy that I should give up and fire in this neuron. They're basically measuring how, how the value of the charge. Let's say that. is it is it. See, it's actually, I mean, I keep wanting to say, is it positive enough? But it's more, is it not negative enough? Because it goes from negative 50 to positive 40. So it's, when I say, is it positive enough, the charge is still a negative charge. Still a negative charge. Okay? There's enough current in your brain to run a a major kitchen appliance. I, I, I wouldn't do it. I don't know how you hook that up. You need a big plug, and then also your brain has other things to do, so that's probably bad. idea. So the next time there's like a power outage, don't try putting your head in the socket, is what I'm saying. You ever do things to your kid with an electrical socket, like put a fork in it or something? Or a paperclip? so was just me? Put my finger up to one more. There you go, that boy. <laughs> I put my finger in a lamp, that was a good one. Look, I, I literally, I remember doing this, I was about three, I took the light bulb, let put my finger in it. For science, put it my hurt. F- put my finger in one of those 12-volt sockets and a uh, art. Oh, that's a very bad idea. You yep. very badly hurt yourself. I, I You could have died from that. <laughs> no, actually. I didn't do that. Uh, I took a paper clip and went into a light like, that and then I, it kind of threw me across the room. Blew a fuse. Um, Things one does, and one is this bizarre, stupid little kid. Uh, one of the things that can happen—oh, not all these great. These are called graded potentials. The excitatory and inhibitory postsynaptic potentials are called graded potentials. And when I say they're not all equal, it's because of spatial and temporal summation. Because if there's not enough, they get shut down. If they're not close enough in time, that's temporal summation. Or close enough in space, that's spatial summation they just dis- disappear they get the pumps work well enough that they the neuron never fires it stays at resting place. I hate the term resting potential because it's not really resting it's working its ass off but calling it working its ass off not the fire potential doesn't work as well so not all these creative potentials are equal some are more or less likely to connect the neuron fire depending on spatial and temporal summation. One of the things that can happen is that a neuron can, Cause think about this, if you've got 10,000 connections, you can, we have a picture of a neuron right here, we can use it as the basis for a little bit of drawing. So there's neurons that connect there, and there, there, there. So there's other neurons. OK, fine. There's a bunch of neurons that connect there. But at the end of this, of the axon like here, let's say that one connects there, and let's say it connects, well, it's gonna, this one connects there, but maybe it also connects back there. Oops. <laughs> it connects onto itself. You get what's called neural backpropagation. Something that happens, um, it was predicted by people in computer science making neural network models. So they would build these models, and these things, these back propagation happens, and they said, that must, I wonder if that happens in living tissue. But it does. Pretty recent discovery. So you can get this neural back propagation. So it's back. Propagation. So you can't get neural back propagation if this happened. Uh, and it's kind of cool. But again, telling you, I think that this is an incredibly complicated piece of gear. OK. You could, using a certain piece of gear called a patch clamp, measure the ion flow through an ion channel. This is white. So you take a micro pipette, and this is obviously going to be a very small one. So this is a very, very, very thin piece of glass. So thin that you probably actually can't see it. It's there, but it's so, so small. so it goes in the ion channel and then you put an electrode in the extracellular fluid and now you can measure how much ion flow there is into the neuron so to give you an idea so this is that's two micrometers that's the pipette so there's no way you're actually seeing that and there's also no way you're you don't do this by hand like this is (laughs) this is done with a Precision equipment. Give you a better idea. Uh, okay, that's a human hair, the thick one. That's the microprotect. You probably won't be able to see it. And again, you wouldn't pick it up because you break it. First of all. these things are—it's all done mechanically. Uh, that's an ion channel. Look at that. That's an ion channel on a neuron. That's the pipette right there, and it's touching that ion channel. Like, isn't that neat? Like, like that, like, if that doesn't kind of excite you a little bit, I don't know, I question a lot of things about you and your outlook on life. Like, that's really freaking cool. We can get pictures of ion channels. I, know, I think it's neat. Apparently, you guys all think it's stupid. But
1: no, it's pretty awesome.
0: Right? So the idea, again, of the patch clamp is if you put a pipette there, it's going to measure the ions going in. And then you have a uh, another electrode in that extracellular fluid. And it just measures current. Yeah, these things are, as you saw, one one-hundredth the thickness of a human hair kind of thing. they're they're precision instruments. And look at at the fact that this thing can be made made into a point. I'm blown away just by the engineering of this. It's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Questions so far? Let's talk about how we move and how we detect things. So we have receptors. As I said, we have, you know, one of the ways that you can make a neuron fire is by is pressure, and all neurons will fire from pressure. But we have receptors for all kinds of different senses we have, right? So we have receptors for light. They're in our retina. They're called cones and rods. We have receptors for sound. Those are in our uh, cochlea. Uh, and so your ear, we have receptors for smell. They're lying on the inside of our nose. Um, and we have thousands of different kinds of things we can smell. The oldest sense in the animal kingdom is the sense of smell. It's a chemical sense. In fact, all senses, as I said uh, earlier in the course, all sense, sensory information goes through the thalamus except for smell. Smell goes to the olfactory bulb. Uh, it's, this is again something telling us that smell's been around longer than any other sense. Okay? So when something binds to a, when a substance binds to one of those receptors, it fires. Which should tell you that when you smell something that isn't pleasant, some of that thing that you're smelling is actually in your nose. Yeah, so so if, if your friend just threw up and you smell puke, there's puke in your nose. It's not much, but there's some. If you go into the bathroom, it smells like crap. It's because there's shit in your nose. Not a lot, but there's some. So that's going to disturb you for the rest of your life, and that's why I'm here. Yes? So smell not being through your thalamus, yes, but through the olfactory instead. Does that have anything to do with people who have schizophrenia? Olfactory is less likely. It's like more rare for them to have olfactory hallucinations. Um, Almost yeah. certainly, yes. I don't know that for sure, but that sounds like a really good story. Like that's my story. I mean, like that's the that's the story i tell too. That sounds exactly correct. Oh. Yeah, I don't know if it. it's true, but it sounds right. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. To me. Yeah, smell works in it. It's a, it's a it's different than all our other senses. So that you're probably right on that. Yes. So people that can't smell, does I mean, there's something wrong. it? Depends. With that? Depends. No. I have a friend who can't smell, and I'm sure it's a neural thing. He never could. Uh, I know another friend who uh, couldn't smell, and I know that was a neural problem. He fell off a trunk, and after the accident, he couldn't smell. My grandpa uh, can't smell, but I don't know why. Yeah. So I know my friend Steve who can't smell, um, he just can't. And it's just the way it is. He can taste a little, mm-hmm. but remember that what we call taste is mostly smell, right? Like when your nose gets stuffed up, you got a cold, you can't taste. You can taste, because if you put sugar in your mouth, you know it's sweet. If you, if you drank some vinegar, you'd know it was it's vinegar. Right? So it's, it's not that you can't taste, it's you can't smell. Yeah. See, he can taste, it's just he can't smell the last, I don't know, like, yeah. he said 20, 30 years. He can, yeah, he can taste and he's gotten used to what that means, but you know, yeah. a lot of what we call taste is typically actually smell. Uh, unlike when you lost your sense of taste, if you had COVID, that happened to anybody? Happened to me for like a few days? Yeah, right? Anybody, is it, anybody still have it? Are you good now? Wasn't it a great moment when you smelled something? I'm like, oh I only had COVID for like, I had it for 10 days, but it was only bad for about 36 hours because I had to vaccinated and all that stuff. And. My wife was cooking, which is often a mistake, but so she was cooking uh, and she was cooking, and I think, soup. I don't know what it was, but I had a nap and I woke up and I, oh, I can smell chicken soup. I was so excited. Because I got into fear, it's like, what if I can't ever smell and taste again? What kind of world is that? people. That was different. Those were actually cells in your those were those were neurons in your central nervous system dying. Uh, So far, it looks like everybody's come back. Sometimes it takes people six months or a year, but it looks like, that's what it is. Um, Sometimes it's a neural thing. Sometimes it's damage to uh, the lining of your nose. Usually not that, it's almost always something neural. Uh, Unless it's actually like a cold and it's blocked. That's it. So we have hundreds of different kinds of receptors in our noses for for different smells. Uh, Taste, there's actually five different kinds of receptors for taste, right? There's sweet, there's sour, there's bitter, right? Sweet, sour, bitter, I'm missing one. What, 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 which one am I missing? Salty. Salty, thank you. And then umami. So MSG, we have five. And we might have six. There may be carbohydrate receptors. Uh, but there's conflicting data on that. No one's really sure. But we definitely have five. We have sweet, sour, salty, bitter umami. Umami is a Japanese word. So, it needs flavor, and it's there are receptors for MSG. They're for most monosodium glutamate. There's a reason MSG tastes good. We have receptors. Like, it means you're eating. There's a lot of things that have MSG in them. Um, you're not allergic to MSG. You're just not. Yeah? So, I thought MSG was like a um, man-made thing. No. Oh, it's, not? it's in. Well, you can isolate it. You can, if you get some glutamate some sodium, I can make it. Just put it together. Oh, okay. Yeah. But, uh, well, it's not just thrown together. It's the thing you have to like burn it. But, but yeah, but yeah, it's it's a salt of, of sodium and glutamate. Uh, and it's not, it exists naturally in tomatoes, cheese, all meat. Uh, mushrooms. Mushrooms are full of MSJ. and no one's put it there, except the Lord. So it uh, just—it's—it's it's, it's just there. That's—it's—it's a—it's a component in, especially things like meat, right? So it gives it a it gives things a meaty flavor. A lot of times, as some, a bit of an amateur cook, um, when things need something, you just need something. It always needs MSJ. It's always MSJ. And you not a lot, by the, the way, way, like a quarter of a teaspoon, mm-hmm. or a little a pinch. You go, oh, that changed everything. But yeah, uh, then now, you can you isolate it unless you put it on things? Sure, it's like you can with salt. So, like table salt. So, sure you can. Yeah. And you can make this? Oh, you just don't need to. You can, just, you can buy it. Definitely yeah, something like more fun Well, it's uh, <laughs> probably more fun to buy. I mean, you, where are you going to go buy glutamate? Yeah, I don't know. so um, But yeah, it's just that it's a salt and glutamate. Nothing to be concerned about. And it's actually the lethal dose for MSG is way higher than the lethal dose for peanuts. Nobody's allergic to MSG. You can't be like it just couldn't exist if you were allergic to MSG. Uh, aller- MSG, it, it's it's fine. People get really weirded out by it, but they'll eat tomatoes, but which are full of MSG, and cheese, which is full of it. But then they'll go to a Chinese restaurant and go, you don't have any MSG in this, here, As uh, Chef Dave Chang says, you know what causes uh, people to be allergic to MSG? Mostly racism. Don't be not allergic to it. It's fine. It's delicious. It's delicious. I mean, if you like it. If you don't like it, that's fine. But it's on its own, it's awful. But with anything, just a little bit, whatever, anything needs a little bit, I will constantly advocate the use of MSG. You can buy it at the bulk bar. And then you can get a little white bag of white powder. It looks like you bought cocaine. So it's kind of fun. You can pretend. <laughs> but yeah, so we got, like I said, we got a sixth one for carbohydrates, too. We may. Made. made very well. Um, so we got different ones for taste. Touch. We have four kinds of touch receptors. Uh, pain, pressure, hot, cold. Now, it's easy to understand how the pressure ones work. Right? So... You might guess, in fact, where we have the greatest concentration of touch receptors on our body. There are three places. Where are they? Where do you think? Fingertips. Finger tips. is one. Because we do tool use, we invented that. Humans are better at that than anybody else. Where, where else? The lips. Lips. Is, the, uh, is another one. Where's another one? There's one more. That's right. You all don't want to say genitals, do you? It's your naughty bits. Feet. Feet. feet? Not the feet. Feet are actually pretty Okay. In fact, your feet, uh, when, you, when a baby's born, they take a, they do a they take blood and take it away from the foot because it's not as energy. Yeah, so feet are OK. And it's good that they're on the feet. You know why? Because you walk on your feet and you're constantly in pain. Now, if you take the at your fingertips, there's so, uh, such a concentration of receptors for touch that you can determine if, if you have a set of calipers two things that are only a millimeter apart. A millimeter apart. On your back, the, 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 the least concentration of uh, touch-sensitive receptors are between your spider, your shoulder uh, blades. Because very rarely, on the savannas of Africa, 200,000 years ago, did people hunt like this, who <laughs> weren't running backwards. And in fact, they're so distributed on your back that you can't tell the difference between one and two stimuli if they're 10 centimeters apart. And you probably don't believe me, so try this with a friend. Uh, It has to be somebody you trust and who doesn't mind taking their shirt off in front of you. So I have them lay down in front of you, like on on, on a bed or on the ground, whatever the hell, I just use bed because I'd be comfortable. Take two pencils and touch them about that far apart on I mean, somebody's back. You have to do it at the same time. It's not always easy. Touch the person's back between their shoulder blades and say, one or two. They'll be right 50% of the time. And sometimes do one. And sometimes they'll call that two. It's wild. But on your finger, on your lips, or your uh, sexy bits, or on your fingertips, I'm here with you. But of course, this is for manipulating stuff. This is things getting in your body here, so you better be able to detect something bad. And, you know, sex should be fun. Seriously, that's, that's, that's the reason we fair. Come on, next one. Oh, yeah, pain. I had it separate from touch. Okay. Cold, yeah, pain, cold, and hot. So like, yeah, touch, pain, cold, and hot. These are all, and that's just pressure. So the idea here that we have five senses, of course, it's kind of silly, is there's 20 odd of them, actually. Like, there's four in, I can think of, in vision alone. Right? you know what, this is a good place to stop because it's very early. I have a a midterm to give right after this and I have to go grab them all and we're good. We're in fact done so much that we can do nothing but Q&A on Tuesday. It'll just be Q&A for the test. Get studying, guys, because I will answer questions. On that note, thank you very much. I'll see you all next time. So thanks for listening uh, to the lecture I hope you got something out of it as I noted in the intro um, these are copyrighted uh, share like 3.0 Canada uh, some rights reserved so you can redistribute this all you want but if you redistribute it uh, you can't make any money off of it uh, and also, uh, if you mash it up, I get to mash up your stuff. Uh, most of the, mu- the vast majority of the music I found was on an old website called GarageBand, which doesn't exist anymore. And then it was called Podsafe Music. So this is all music that I have, uh, that it's perfectly reasonable to, uh, put on these podcasts uh if you are interested i can oftentimes find the the name of the band the name of the band will be listed in the post and uh, go look these bands up and and buy their music because if they're cool enough to let me use this you should be cool enough to pay 99 cents or whatever to buy one of their songs uh on that note i will see you next time